found in the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, give us some water. Why are you complaining to me, Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up to Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Our second scripture today is Psalm 95. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his, he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. My name is Kate Ghost, and I'm the mom of four little kids and I'm married to Nathan Ghost. And we live here in North Gore. I work from home most of the time and take care of the kids as my hobby now that I have a full-time job. I work in administrative support, so I'm the master of emails and tracking files and kind of playing with data to make sure everything gets where it is and that we have some records of what's been accomplished throughout the year. Um, originally I started going back to work um, mid-pandemic so Nathan and I were finding it really tricky all being home and spending all that time with the kids and we realized it was the point in our future had now 
kind of come to be the present where I was ready to leave the house, so to speak, and get to work away from just raising the kids. So on the one hand, I really love that it's given Nathan the opportunity to be the primary caregiver for the kids. So it's been, I think, really healthy for us as a family to branch out and learn how to do all the different roles. I also just love administration. I find it kind of relaxing to have a start to finish task that I can do throughout the day and I check it off and then it's done. Uh, so when I was in high school, I saw a poster in my high school that was advertising the RCMP Youth Academy, which is a boot camp type experience where you go away for about two weeks. You are kind of isolated there with your team and you spend your days in pretty intense endeavors together. Um, and then at the end of it, you're released back to your regular life. So before I went to boot camp, I, I didn't quite know what to expect from it. I knew that there would be a lot of class time, a lot of hard physical work, and other than that, it was sort of just an adventure. I chose to go to boot camp primarily because I think it, I thought it would be a good step in terms of learning what sort of career I wanted to have in the future. I knew I was interested in law and I was fairly athletic, so I thought that maybe law enforcement would be something that would interest me. So I don't know why I decided to go, really. It seemed like a challenge that uh, I wanted to see what it would about. The days were very predictable at the Youth Academy. There was a very strict schedule that was followed. At 6 a.m. was physical training. Everyone would be up, dressed identically, you would be inspected, and then you would um, leave for about an hour of PT. Then there was breakfast, you followed your class regimen. There was lunch, more class, dinner, then drill. So the days were quite packed. By the time you were done for the day, everyone was exhausted. So because the boot camp that I attended was related to law enforcement and then I ended up studying criminal justice in university, I did end up using it quite a bit. It helped me kind of tie together some of the law classes that I took and understand where these volunteer RCMP officers were coming from as they were teaching us these things and yelling in your face and teaching you in that moment in a very unusual way why it is that you need to be ready to respond quickly or you need to know that information right away because for them they can be out on a regular day and have a life or death situation come up. So personally, now that I work in administration, I don't see those scenarios myself, but it is really interesting to have that context. Through boot camp, I grew in some ways that I didn't expect. I think I went in knowing some of my strengths, but then when you're placed in a situation where you're with your set group of five people and you need to accomplish a task like it's an emergency, um, I was really forced to step out of my comfort zone and try something new, knowing that we might fail. And sometimes, honestly, failure was the purpose to just do our best and see how far we could get, even though total success might not have been a possibility. So we definitely learned to rely on one another as a team. Yeah, we were very much forced to try new things and take risks, just basically plan for total humiliation and anything better would be a great outcome. Certainly as a parent, I don't design failure into the things that I ask of my kids. Um, a theme that I definitely use now as a parent is the teamwork aspect. You know, if three out of my four kids arrive and one of them's missing, that is not a success. I'm not gonna say, great job, you three. I'm gonna hold all of those three accountable that the other one's not there because we are a team as a family and we do everything together. Um, it's also a sort of the concept of discipline that they applied at boot camp um, was one where they never singled out a single person. But you are able to collectively discipline a group and in a way that's even more effective because then the peer pressure draws 
those ones who are lagging behind. Hopefully the camaraderie draws them in and also that pressure to not want to let your team down. That's definitely a measure of discipline that I try to use with my kids that, you know, if we're doing something together, we're going to either succeed all together or fail all together. I think one of the dangers of complaining in something like the boot camp that I attended is that you have such a tight-knit group of people that the tone that one person is setting is going to affect everyone. Even your entire class of 40 people is going to be brought down significantly if they know that someone else is uncomfortable. It's definitely important to voice your concerns and your challenges, but I think they need to be communicated in a way that's seeking a solution and not just kind of trying to spread the terribleness out a little bit to everyone. So to anyone who's considering trying something out of the ordinary, I would absolutely encourage you to do it. The worst that can happen is that you fail. And I know for myself that is a massive obstacle because the desire to succeed and to gain those achievements is really powerful. But once you fail a couple of times, you see that, that it doesn't really have any power over you. I was told by another cadet who had gone to the boot camp prior, he said that it was so challenging some days, he would just tell himself, if I can just make it to lunch, then then I'm gonna make it and I really held on to that piece of advice throughout my couple of weeks there that you know if I can just make it through this run if I can just make it until lunch then you know then you kind of give yourself permission to quit later you know I'm gonna reevaluate I'm gonna do this now and I'm gonna do the best that I can for now and I'll reevaluate later and that's been really helpful for me even just in my life I'm getting up with a baby in the middle of the night wow this is hard and I'm tired but if I can just get through this one feeding then we'll reevaluate tomorrow um, and it really gives you power to give everything that you have in the moment um, and it feels like a fresh start then at every new step. To anyone considering trying something out of the ordinary, I would say definitely do it. Okay, let's give Kate a round of applause for that wonderful interview. And she's pulling double duty today she's uh well triple duty she's doing sound with her kids and she was interviewed so uh let's uh, let's give her another round of applause if you don't know what i'm talking about turn around and have a look now she's got her hands full uh, which is marvelous but uh you know it's wonderful to hear um experiences like that i've never been to a boot camp so for me to hear that is uh great and uh I love that advice that she gave about um, not quitting or learning not to quit when, when she was going through a hard time. And, and, you know, and the strategy was this, right? If I can just get through lunch, if I can just get through this run, if I can just get through this feeding, then you can give yourself the permission to quit later on. Uh, but right now, you know, her, her way of thinking was, this is what's in front of me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the best I can. And then I'll reevaluate later. I think that's brilliant advice. Uh, last week uh, at the boot camp, we uh, learned how to uh, reset forwards. And we learned to reset forwards by acknowledging the previous generation and, by, um, and then by 
also going with God and then also taking uh, the, the next generation with you. And we looked at Abraham and we looked at the example of his father Terah and we looked at Lot as well. And so I wonder this week whether any of you have maybe taken a chance or a moment to acknowledge the previous generations on whose shoulders you are standing. Um, or maybe uh, you've done something kind, something nice in the name of Jesus and rather than doing it by yourself, you've brought someone else along with you so that they can experience it so that you can model this life for them just like my parents uh, modeled for me Um, so this morning though we're moving uh, from Abraham's epic journey in Genesis 12 to the epic journey of Abraham's descendants in uh, Exodus 17 so what's happened so far in this part of the story um, is that the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea through God's miraculous intervention and they're now free of their erstwhile captors uh, after 400 years of slavery God has um, Uh, provided food for them in the form of manna and quail and they've also learned the beauty of sabbath rest they went for 400 years working every day of the week and now they've learned what it is to have a a sabbath rest and this kind of brings us up to the uh, start of our passage this morning um, exodus 17 verse 1 that says this the entire israelite community left the wilderness of sin moving from one place to the next according to the lord's command Now, the first thing to glean from our text this morning is that the Israelite community, all multiple million of them, are moving from one place to the other according to the Lord's command. In other words, Moses and the elders heard from God and they relocated and they brought the people with them. So this was ostensibly um, a life of obedience. And if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, then our desire, like this, is to listen to the voice of God and to obey him. In fact, just like our Saviour did, John chapter 5 verse 19 says this, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything of his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. And if that's true of Jesus Christ, then how much more is that true of us? And so we are walking in the footsteps of, and the example of Jesus. We're walking in the footsteps and the example of Moses and of the Israelites. Okay, but the question is, is that when we're uh, living as much as we can a life of obedience, what happens when that very act of obedience leads us into a tough situation? What happens when our pursuit of God leads us into a place of lack? That we are being obedient as far as we can tell and it feels that maybe even our very obedience, the fact that we're listening to Jesus and doing what he says has led us into trouble or led us into hardship. Verse 1 says this of Exodus 17. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next. According to the Lord's command, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. This isn't just thirsty, this is nothing. And this isn't just you being a little bit thirsty, this is millions of people without water. So why did they end up at Rephidim? That's the question here. Why did they end up at Rephidim? Well, it seems to me it's because God led them to Rephidim. That's what verse 1 seems to imply. That they moved from one place to the next according to the Lord's command and they end up at Rephidim and there is no water. Now, what the text doesn't explicitly say, 
But what we can maybe draw from this is that, is that, is that it's not that God didn't have a plan or a purpose in bringing them to Rephidim. Let me turn that away from the negative to the positive. God did have a plan in bringing them to Rephidim. And so we can assume that Rephidim was an intentional uh, stop on the journey that God had for them. And we can assume that God's plan wasn't to wipe out the entire nation of Israel through thirst, through drought. We can assume that. In fact, knowing God in his track record, it's likely that God's plan at Rephidim was to miraculously provide water for the Israelites, which he actually ended up doing, thereby shoring up their trust in him. That was God's plan, is that he would bring them, they would be thirsty, they would pray, he would answer, and they would have yet another story that they could tell others. But the people's response wasn't that. Verse 2, so the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me, Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? It's interesting how those two things are linked. Why are you complaining to me and why are you testing the Lord? And I also think it's interesting that when faced with the fact that what life has doled out to us, that when, when that life that we feel that we've received from the Lord, when it doesn't look like we think it should look, how quickly that can turn to complaining. Complaining to each other, complaining to leadership. And Moses says that this type of complaining can actually be sometimes you're, that you're testing the Lord. Now, let's not be too hard on the Israelites. After all, water or lack of water is a basic existential threat to life, right? A person can live without water, can last without water only for three days. So let's not pretend that we would have done any different than what the children of Israel did, i.e. complain. My, but my point is that what should have been verbalized as a prayer to God instead worked its way out as a complaint to each other. In other words, the Israelites rewrote Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't present your requests to God through prayer and thanksgiving. Instead, worry about everything. That was their mantra at this moment in their journey. Now, Exodus doesn't explain how the complaining spread, but I think we can probably use our imagination. We, we would imagine that at the beginning there was probably, you know, if you're talking about a tribe of multiple millions of folks, there was probably a mixture of faith and fear. And some neighbours were telling their neighbours, you know, to trust God because he's been faithful up till this moment. While others were expressing their fear of the future and their anger at Moses to anyone who would listen. The question is, guess who won? Agent K in Men in Black says this. He says, um, he says a person is smart, but people are dumb. A person is smart, people are dumb. And here's the reality, is that groupthink always wins out over individual smarts, okay? Groupthink always wins. Complaining always wins out over faith. Complaining is, is contagious way more than faith is. And so in a pitched battle of faith and fear, in a large group of people or in a small group of people, in a church of 120 people, if there's a pitched battle between complaining and faith then complaining will always win out and it will overcome even the strongest believer. 
given enough time, and if that believer is not careful in replenishing their faith stores regularly. And so in Exodus, as so often happens, the general complaining to leadership turns into grumbling against leadership. Verse 3, but the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with this? Interesting how they're starting to read motive into what Moses is doing and what Yahweh and, and, and here we see that fear makes us lose our minds. It literally makes us lose our minds. Fear makes us lose our minds. You see, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years under a brutal regime. They never had a day off. But God has provided them with Sabbath. He's provided them with food. Do you think that perhaps he might provide them with water at this critical juncture in their journey? But fear makes us lose our minds and it makes us lose our memories as well. And so Moses, faced with this mutiny, this insurrection from these millions of thirsty Israelites, he responds in verse 4. He says this, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? In a little while they will stone me. And here I want to compare Moses' response to the response of the Israelites. And it really turns on a phrase that Moses or that the Israelites complained and Moses cried out. That is the difference. There's the rub. The Israelites complained to someone, but Moses cried out to God himself. And here's the thing is that if thirst is an existential crisis, then being stoned by a grumbling, angry mob is even more so. Without water, you can live for three days. With stones flying at your head and your body, we're talking three minutes. So this is a panic time for Moses. And what does he do with these deep feelings of fear that he has at that very moment? I can't even imagine just being that leader in that place and not knowing what to do when your life is on the line. And he cries out to God. Here's a funny thing. On Wednesday morning, literally as I was writing these words that I literally just said, I was feeling the crunch for my weekly targets. I was behind on my sermon. Uh, my board packet wasn't yet done for Thursday's meeting. We had a nomination committee meeting on Monday with all of the follow-on work from that Phone calls with church folks going through all sorts of things. Emails to respond to. And as we know, the week didn't get any better. And so I was having, and, and also that morning, I had an 8 a.m. Me meeting with my wife for one of her chaplaincy course projects. After which I was meeting with Nathan for our book study on emotionally healthy leadership. Ironic. And then we had a staff meeting. And I was looking at the remainder of the week on that Wednesday morning, and I was thinking, how on earth am I going to write this sermon? I was feeling the crunch, I was feeling the fear, and then, to top it all off, I look out of the window, and what do I see but my two eldest girls walking back across, uh, up the laneway from the bus stop. Clearly, the morning bus had just been cancelled. And I could feel my, cr my plans crumbling even further. Now I'd have to drive them to school. 
And so to be nice, I then text my friend Randy, because we often ride share when the bus is cancelled, to ask if I could pick up his kids as well. And, then, and so I then wait to hear back from him. But I was just getting more and more frustrated at the school, at the drivers, at these expectations that were filling up my calendar. And in this moment of bubbling frustration, I went to the toilet. <laughs> and as I'm sat there on the loo, I realized that I was doing exactly what the Israelites were doing. Okay, this is a real Pastor Dan moment right now. I'm having an epiphany on the toilet. And how many of us have these moments, have these moments of epiphany, these moments of realization? Often it's not when we're at church. Often it's when we're in the shower or in the car or in the grocery store or we're shoveling the laneway or in the bathroom. God speaks to us in the bathroom so I'm sat there on the loo and I'm complaining and I was allowing the circumstances of my life to dictate my mood just as I was writing about the Israelites doing the exact same thing and my issue wasn't water or my life it wasn't an existential threat it was that I had quite a busy week and my mood was bad as I was sat there and I felt this check in my spirit and my eyes were opened, and in that moment, as I'm sat on the throne, I made a decision to trust God. And the phrase came to me, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so I'm sat on the throne, and I start singing that song by Ren Collective, the joy of the Lord is my strength, you know, and I, I started singing that. And in one second, my entire demeanor changed from panic to peace, from hardship to joy. Now, God doesn't always speak to us on the loo. He doesn't always speak to me on the loo. But sometimes it's when we give ourselves a minute to pause, when we take ourselves away from the situation at hand, that we can give God the tiniest sliver of permission to speak into our lives. Sometimes our heads are so full of stuff that we cannot even hear him, even if he's speaking. And if that moment of reprieve happens to be the downstairs loo and the manse, then I'm okay with that. And so I come upstairs from the loo and Ari and Enya are sat there on the couch and I tell them, okay, be ready in two minutes, I'm leaving. And just at that moment, Ariana says to me, hold on a sec, Aubrey says that they can take us to school. And then I look at my phone because I've not heard back from Randy yet and Aubrey is Randy's daughter. And I'd already offered to take Aubrey and Hudson to school. So why was Aubrey texting Ari that the offer, that this offer, when I'd literally just told her dad that I would take them to school? And I look at my phone and I realize that that text that I swear to you had sent had not arrived. In fact, I sent two texts and neither of those texts had arrived. And it told me that. And so I... And at that moment, I wasn't able to explain how. Only now I'm looking back, and neither of these texts had arrived where they were supposed to go, even though they'd been sent. And this little note on my phone said something like this. It said, his phone is off. When he turns it on, he'll receive the messages. And so my offer to take his kids had never been received. And instead, Hudson picked up my kids. And because of that, I had time to record this story that I've just recounted to you uh, before my 8am meeting with my wife. 
So here's the thing, complaining can easily turn into grumbling, and we see this in verse 2 and 3, so the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink, why are you complaining to me, Moses said to them, why are you testing the Lord, but the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses, so complaining leads to grumbling, but crying out to God leads to answered prayer. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. Existential threat at the highest order. Next sentence, the Lord answered Moses. And what started out as a cry for help, as a Hail Mary, not a Hail Mary, Hail Mary in the football sense, right? But eventually turned into a shout of joy. And in fact, Psalm 95, a psalm that's based on Exodus 17, says this, Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. And these words are powerful because the way that God answered Moses' prayer was through a rock. Verse 5 of Exodus 17, the Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock. Okay, what does this look like? Imagine what this looks like. Okay, this is Yahweh speaking to Moses. I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. When a a follower of Jesus, someone like you, someone like me, experiences the miracle of provision of the rock of God in their life. They praise him. That's what happens. If you experience God answering prayer, you praise him. They glorify him. They tell the story of how God met them in the bathroom. They write Psalm 95. And here's the cool thing, and I know I've made this connection before you, uh, with you before, but the rock of Exodus 17 was Jesus. Jesus was the rock in Exodus 17, and maybe you haven't heard that before. Maybe you're wondering, well, how was Jesus the rock in Exodus 17? How was he that lump of granite in Exodus 17? Well, I'm not saying this to you. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 10. He says this, they all drank from the same spiritual food. Uh, They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank Uh, the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ so it was a pre-incarnation showing up of Jesus there in the desert now like I say to you many times I don't know what you're going through there are some of you that I do know what you're going through and there are lots of you that I don't and I know that in some ways my example there on the toilet in the manse was a bit silly Because we cannot equate the stress of a full work schedule with the danger of dying from thirst. But it seems to me that, in a sense, our stories are similar. Because for both myself and for the Israelites, we didn't give God a chance. We just saw the situation through our human eyes and we instantly turned to complaining. The Israelites knew that God provided for them freedom and Sabbath and quail and manna that God provided for them. He'd earned their trust. And God provided for me through an epiphany on the toilet and through an unreceived text message. When um, Kate was talking, she said something that I think we all need to hear. She said this, I think one of the dangers of complaining in something like the boot camp I attended is that you have a tight-knit group of people um, that that 
the tone that one person is setting is going to affect everyone. Even your entire class of 40 people is going to be brought down significantly if they know that someone else is uncomfortable. It's definitely important to voice your concerns or your challenges, but I think they need to be communicated in a way that's seeking a solution and not just kind of trying to spread the terribleness out a little bit to everyone. I, I, I love that. That concerns need to be communicated in a way that's seeking a solution and not just trying to spread the terribleness out to everyone. Do you spread the terribleness out, out to everyone? Is that something that you do? And so continuing Kate's idea, here's the thought that I want to leave us with leave us with this morning. I want to tell you that you have the power to rename seasons in your life. You have the power to rename seasons in your life. What do I mean by this? Well, the Israelites, if they'd have trusted God, they would have looked back and they would have told their kids and grandkids, did I ever tell you about Rephidim? Did I ever tell you about Rephidim? They have their kids on their knees and they say, let me tell you the story about Rephidim. Because Rephidim means resting place. And Rephidim was the name of the place that they were camped at in Exodus 17, verse 1. It says they camped at Rephidim. And they could have told future generations about Rephidim. Okay, kids, let's all meet around the fire and... Let me tell you this amazing story. First there was the plagues, and then Yahweh beat all the Egyptian gods. Then there was the escape, then there was the Red Sea, then there was the manna, the quail. Then there was Rephidim, resting place, where we trusted God and he provided water. And I want to tell you kids that just as he provided water for us, he can provide water for you. That's what could have happened. This is the story that they could have recounted. Instead, we have Exodus 17, verse 7. He named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Listen to this. The name Rephidim, as far as I can tell, that that name resting place was now vanished. It no longer existed. And instead, for generations... And generations afterwards, what would now be known as Massa, which means testing or temptation, and Meribah, which means something like strife, contention, complaint, or murmuring, that's the story that would be told. And we know this name stuck because years later, the psalmist wrote Psalm 95. And he wrote this, for he is our God with the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. We love that verse. We say that verse a lot. We don't often say the next verse. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. It's no longer Rephidim, it's now Meribah. Or on that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I had done. So God's people, through complaining and murmuring and, and, and lack of faith, turn Rephidim, resting place, into Meribah, testing and um, Massa, complaint. And it's all because they upended Philippians 4, 4 verse 6. Don't present your requests to God through prayer and thanksgiving. Instead, worry about everything. And make sure other people know about your worries. So thinking about your life, where are you now? As you're sat on the loo of life, where are you spiritually? Are you dwelling at Rephidim, resting place? Or are you at Massa and Mariba, testing and complaining? Because it's either one or the other. And the irony of this whole account is that Rephidim and Massa and Mariba are exactly the same place. 
It just depends on the name that you give it. It just depends on the name that you assign. It just depends on the way that you're looking at it. It just depends on what you are doing in that place. Are you complaining and grumbling to whoever will listen? Have you hardened your heart, as Psalm 95 says? Or are you crying out to God and giving him the permission to give you the water of life that your soul needs? It says they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 3. So it's so important this morning that you get the name place right. Because whatever name you give this place, this season of your life, whatever name you give this season of your life, this is how you will remember it. This is the name that will stick.